1966, the Chicago Bears drafted the son of a Pennsylvania coal miner in the fourth round. Doug Buffon would go on to play 15 seasons for the Bears and later be named one of the 100 greatest Bears of all time. His allegiance to the Bears never waned, even when he took to the microphone and witnessed some horrendous Bears teams. The fact is, there's not the fear put into him because this game is a lot about fear. You either do the job or you go home and go sell hamburgers at McDonald's. Doug told it like it is, and that's part of the reason his nephew John has dedicated this show to Doug. And now John Buffone is spreading Buffone-branded beratements just like his uncle. Win the football game. You're the head coach. I don't care what you have your fingers in. I don't care what you're meddling in. You're the head freaking coach. We get it. You're the most important guy on the staff. You don't have to keep trying to legitimize that. And he's got pep talks too. I love this team. And I know everyone watching and listening loves this team. So while we may be pessimistic and cynical, every one of us still has hope that the stars will align at some point. And if that ever does happen, you'll be glad you stuck around. John is telling it like it is here on Buffone 55. And joining John are Alyssa Barbieri, managing editor of USA Today's NFL Wires, including Bears Wire. And also Danny Shimon, lead game and draft analyst for the Barroom Network. Buckle up and bear down. This is Buffone 55, The John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to this special Monday edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach at breaking down those lovable Chicago Bears. I'm John Buffone and with me as always is my co-host and producer Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, another week? another Bears loss. They gave us a little hope and then gave it away in the fourth quarter. How you doing? Uh, I'm starting to get used to this, which is, is not good. Um, but <laughs> hey, I'm, for some reason, though, like this one didn't hurt as much as some of the others because, I mean, that just tells you how bad this season has been. And you want to know what? I was just looking so I was looking so forward to this Thursday night game coming up. No, I'm joking, obviously. But yeah, it, it's a rough one, too, because, you know, they had us there. I thought they were going to pull it off again. They were within one score. It felt like last year uh, a little bit where they were competing with these teams and then they somehow found a way to lose. And it's nothing new for us. We're ready to do it. We're ready for another therapy session here. <laughs> yeah, you, you just kind of get callous to it after after a while. Uh, and uh, because we're on on Monday and we are very rarely on uh, the day before uh, Aldo and Dan's show, I'm wearing Dan Aguirre's favorite jersey tonight. It's the the Rick Meyer, number 13, Rick Meyer jersey. That's, that's not Johnny Knox. That's Rick Meyer, who played half a season for the bears and i can't even believe they made jerseys for him but uh, i i picked one up back in uh, he played in 1997 i don't think i bought this until 1998 there's a whole value city story behind this but i'm not going to get into that however <laughs> do they even have value cities in in the midwest i don't know uh but anyway uh i i digress but Alyssa, before we go in and break down another fun rough week can you let everyone know how the phone 55 works 
Absolutely. So we will begin with the classic B-55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions about the Bears, and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffon, his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. Then we're going to mix things up a little bit this week, and we're going to jump into the first half of the free-for-all that we call the phone's basement, where Danny Shimon is going to join John and me, and the three of us are going to break down this last loss and look ahead to one of those dreaded primetime games. Then we're going to break down the Bears' upcoming opponent, and this week we're going to take a deep dive on the Carolina Panthers, a team that has several ties to the Bears. We're going to wrap things up with another Buffon's Basement segment looking ahead to Thursday night. So, John, coming off of another loss, do you think you can keep this energy up? Uh, yeah, I'll fake it till I make it. Let's go. <laughs> okay, then. So we're going to jump right into our B55 segment. That's when I'm going to ask John five questions, and he's going to find a way to keep his responses within 55 seconds, which is a miracle considering this Bears team this season. So <laughs> let's go ahead and get it started. So, John, like you said earlier, the Bears gave us a little hope yesterday. They hung up, they hung with the Saints all game and had multiple opportunities to either tie or take the lead. So I'll ask you a broad question. How do you evaluate this loss? You know the drill, 55 <laughs> seconds and go. Uh, well, it kind of falls into what I've been saying all year. When you're a sub-average team, and I think I'm being generous there, you have very little margin for error. You can't have your quarterback account for four turnovers. You can't have your best receiver fumble the ball. You can't commit untimely penalties. You can't miss a 40-yard field goal. And they did all of those things against the Saints. Plus, they had trouble getting off the field on third down, although the defense did tighten up towards the end of the game. They dangled that little bit of hope. They looked efficient uh, on offense early, and they did have chances to win this game but bad teams always find a way to lose games uh but honestly i didn't have the energy to yell and scream after the game i'm kind of in recharging mode right now when your team is a consistent loser like mine is you go through phases of outward rage and then just calm acceptance while you recharge that rage so in a game or two i'll uh, i'll probably be ready to yell and scream again <laughs> Yeah, like you, I was a little surprised by my reaction. I wasn't too angry about it. I'm just like, well, at least they kept things interesting and were competitive up until the end and they had a chance to to win. But like you said, when you're a bad team, you're going to find a way to lose. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, you know, Tyson Bajan had a really good first half and then he just kind of realized quickly uh, just how uh, bad things can get as being the Bears starting quarterback. So, I mean, it, it, it was a rough one. But again, you know, at least it wasn't over and I wasn't writing my game like at the start of the, my game recap at the start of the third quarter. It was refreshing. <laughs> yeah, they they kept your interest. They, 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 it wasn't it wasn't a complete blowout or it wasn't one of those boring. Uh, well, just those Bears games that drag on where even if they're within eight or nine points, you're like, this game's over. I mean, it, it, so it, it it felt like they had a chance at the end and they just the, the fourth quarter was nightmarish. But what else is new? Yeah, I think maybe the reason I felt like that is because going into the season, this was a game I didn't expect them to win. So the fact that they were in it until the end, I'm like, well, hey, that's a win in itself. So, yeah. I mean, we'll take it. I Will we? I guess we have to. What other, what other we choice? Have to. We, have. we have yeah, to. We have no other choice. <laughs> okay, so John, after the game, Matt Eberflus didn't commit one way or another to Justin Fields' availability for Thursday night's game. Given Tyson Bajan's struggles against the Saints, should the Bears put Fields in even if he isn't 100%? 55 seconds are on the clock. 
So it's probably in everyone's best interest to sit him on Thursday if he isn't almost 100%. No one in the NFL is 100% in Week 10, but if he is still has restrictions or his ability to play the position is hampered by that thumb, why put him out there? You aren't winning the division. You aren't going to the playoffs. You aren't a contender. So don't put your quarterback in a position where it could get worse. And if you're Justin Fields, I'm sure you're aware that you are – auditioning for your next team as much as you are auditioning to remain the guy in Chicago. So as much as you want to go out and play and put some good tape out there, if you're gutting it out with a bad thumb and you throw a few picks and God forbid lose to the Panthers, I don't know if people are going to be thinking about that thumb when they evaluate you. So if he feels great and there's no problems with the thumb, yeah, go for it. But if it's still affecting how he's gripping the football or throwing the football, take another week and come back on November 19th against the Lions. Like I said, they don't desperately need him for a playoff run. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, maybe after seeing Tyson Bajan's performance against the Saints, you know, it's kind of like, hurry up, Justin, we want you back. But at the same time, it might be in the team and his best interest to just take these next 10 days and to really get that thumb uh, healthy and ready to go. Because like you said, they're not competing for anything. Uh, I guess maybe you could argue that they are they, they, that beating the Panthers is important so you can make that first round pick even worse. And this is an opportunity to do that. But I mean, outside of that, I don't really see, you know, a reason why you should risk him. If he's good to go, oh my God, by all means, obviously right. we want to see him out there. But if he's not, I don't see why you risk it. No, no, I, 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 I understand if you're in a tight division race and you need to gain ground on the Lions, then you're like, okay, we need this game. And if it wasn't the, and if it wasn't, if you were a good team, you'd probably still start your backup because that your backup should be able to beat the Carolina Panthers. So, but, uh, but that none, none of those things are happening. So let, let it, let him sit if he's not, if he's not close to 100. Yeah, no, you're two and seven. You don't need to do that. Just, just no. ride with Beijing. Give him one last, uh, one last start before Fields comes back. Agreed. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna stick with the head coach, our favorite topic. Um, Matt Eberflus is currently five and twenty-one. Yes, as the Bears head coach, uh, John. Last week, you said that you weren't sure if Eberflus's fate was sealed either way. Did this game do anything to move the needle? You've got fifty-five seconds. Uh, so I want to be clear. I'm not sure Ryan Poles has made his mind up. I have made my mind up. But to answer the question, no, I don't think this moved the needle one way or another. I'm sure Poles likes Eberflus, but this season has the potential to be the exact same as last year. I don't care how close they are, how close they say they are. They aren't winning, and eventually you just lose a locker room when you just keep losing. Also, I don't necessarily think the Montez Sweat deal was an indication that Eberflus is definitely coming back. I, I think Poles wanted a, a defensive end, didn't see any that would be worth taking high in the draft, and he pulled the trigger. It's not like Montez Sweat can only play in Matt Eberflus' defense. It's not like it's going to be when they try to turn Jared Allen into a 3-4 linebacker. Uh, we are a little more than halfway through the season. It can get better. Or it can get a lot worse. And if the Bears end up as a three or four win team, I can't wait to hear the justification at the end of the year for why everyone is going to be retained and they're going to run this back. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't know. Just It feels like Ryan Poles is just really committed to Eberflus right now. Obviously, things could change, especially uh, down the final stretch here if those losses continue to mount or if he gets you know, pressure from above. So, I mean, we'll see, but... Like you said, it, it, it's just a rough situation, though, with, with, with Eberflus. It's week after week, we're seeing the same thing for the last two years. It's hard to 
expect that anything will change next season, especially if, you know, he's going to be bringing back Luke Getze and we'll see, obviously he'd have to address the defensive coordinator uh, or bring in a new right. defensive coordinator. I don't know. I just, I don't trust it. Um, but again, it's not our decision. We can't make that. I'm just hoping that Ryan pulls does make the right decision. I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot of, there's, we're only halfway through the season. It can get so much more worse. <laughs> and, and that's, and that's really what I'm get. saying. Like, I, I know that polls has given the indication that he just really loves Matt Eberflus's character as a leader in the locker room and all this other stuff. But listen, the pressure is going to be too much. If this team ends up only winning three games or you know, three or four games. And you're going to think, well, this was supposed to be step two in the rebuild. You tore it all down. And then we were supposed to see progress this year after you spend all that money in free agency. You got, you get, you know, a second, you now you got a second year head coach. You got a second year play caller. Now all of the, all that, you know, all those growing pains are supposed to be behind you in year one. And, oh, you turned out the same result you did last year. I, I don't know how you, I don't just, I don't know how you justify it. How do you, at the end of the year, whether it's in a press conference or you're talking to Kevin Warren and, and George McCaskey, what do you say? Oh, we got better. Oh, we're almost there. We're there. We're there. It may not look like we're there, but we're there. Like same stuff that they're saying in the press conference now, most likely. Matt Nagy, is that you? Um, no, but it just, if this was last season, right? If this is his first season and this is all happening, you can use that as, and as an excuse, right? And that's what we, why last year we didn't really, freak out too much we understood the situation yeah. and everything but now when you know ryan poles went out and bettered the roster uh and you built around justin fields and you added it and this is the same result if not worse that's a problem and like what faith is there that Eberflus is going to be the guy to turn it around no and you know I i'm starting to see a trend we saw this with matt nagy and i think we we're seeing it with matt Eberflus. when you're out of answers at the at the podium when people are asking about things you just spin in circles You're like again that's the process of the decision makers whenever we're making that decision we have a big collection of decision makers to make that decision and that's our process and again that's just what we do to put ourselves in a position to be most successful when we're making a decision and you're like what what did you say and like no that's my answer thank you <laughs> and that's but when you're out of answers that's what you say when you when you don't when whatever the act whenever the real answer is we're not doing well and I'm not doing my job very well, but you can't say that. That's what you get. Or you stand up there and I forget if it was you or Danny who did it where like, he just like rubbing his arm or his elbow. Yeah, he said he had a tell like a poker tell. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was Danny right Yeah, now. Danny picked up on that body language real quick. I had no clue about that. He, Danny must I'm be watching a, now. Must be I see of, it. Must be a heck of a poker player because <laughs> I, I did not pick up on that at all, but why not? Oh, he's so nervous up there. Yeah. Um, okay, so... We're going to pivot to another uh, topic that we love discussing. That's offensive coordinator Luke okay. Getze, uh, who has drawn just as much, if not more, criticism uh, than Matt Eberflus. So, John, are you more confident that at least Getze will be shown the door at the end of the season? 55 seconds and go. So here's why I think Getze and Eberflus are kind of joined at the hip here. And I know this is going to sound a little convoluted, so stick with me. If you decide that Getze needs to go and you bring in a new offensive coordinator, you might have a new quarterback. And if under that new offensive coordinator, the Bears still stink in 2024, they'll probably move on from Eberflus. And leaving with Eberflus will be that new offensive coordinator you just hired. So in true Bears fashion, they'll do everything out of order. They won't bring in a quarterback with the head coach at the same time. And whoever you draft in 2024 would be inherited by whatever coach you hire in 2025. 
On the other hand, if you decide to keep Justin Fields and fire Getze, you're putting Fields in his third offensive system in four years, and you're hoping his first season and yet another system is going to be enough to save the head coach's job. I feel like I'm in a chalkboard right now and just drawing a ton of circles and trying to connect them, and I hope some of that made sense. I think both should be out. So you're saying cleaning house is, is the best option, which I think we could probably yeah. agree here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Get, get, start all over. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's the same thing with Matt Eberflus when we look at Luke Getze. Again, second season uh, calling plays as offensive coordinator, and it's more of the same. And if Fields is here next season and it's the same thing, we've already seen them at a disconnect. You know, they really don't gel and – Fields isn't the kind of quarterback that, you know, gets he wants to run his offense. So I don't know. It Like you said, it's always like the Bears are just like, like you, like you fire someone, bring someone in, then the quarterback has to learn a couple new offenses. It, it's tiring. I like just cleaning a house, I think is the best option. Do I think it's going to happen? No. And listen, I'm not somebody that says, okay, if it doesn't work in two years, you got to clean house. Because you don't want to be a franchise that's just cleaning house every two years and just consistently rebuilding. But whenever you don't want to double down on a bad move. And if you're, if you just say, we want stability and you're just going to go like, you're going to go like that. And they're like, okay, then you want consistently bad. And so the, the it, it's, it's pretty obvious what we're seeing is not working. Like if we, if listen, I'm not saying to be successful this year, the bears needed to be seven and two right now. But if, if they were, if they were right around 500, maybe a game under 500, a game over 500, whatever, then you can probably point to some real steps of progress that they have made since last year. I'm still waiting to see progress from last year. What is tangibly better than last year? I I, I still don't know. Like I, and I could, there might be something glaring that I'm missing. Don't like I always say, I'm wrong about everything. But if it, but if I'm looking for something that is glaringly better or is noticeably better, go ahead, Alyssa. What do we got? DJ Moore. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yep, you're you're absolutely right. They have DJ Moore, who is who basically uh, surpassed the receiving totals of everyone last year in like week five. But but yes, he's he, he the the guy they brought in is doing better. But other than that, I don't know. Yeah, it's because Luke Getze was brought in to develop Justin Fields and to fix this offense, and it's not the case. It, it's gotten worse from last season, and there's more talent around him, whether it's DJ Moore or whether it's on the offensive line. And it, it's frustrating because we've seen those flashes, right, where when Getze is in sync with Fields, right, when he's actually calling a game plan that really fits his quarterback. And we, we saw that, right, with, with Fields when he had uh, those good really good games against Denver and Washington. And then, like, the wheels just fall off again. And then we're, like, back to the beginning. And it's the same old thing. And Getsy is just so inconsistent. And it's so frustrating because he was supposed to be the guy to develop Fields. And it, it, it's frustrating because I feel like they are ruining Fields, that they are wasting, like, the best quarterback prospect that they've had in a long time. And, and it's unfortunate, but it really does seem like we are headed towards a reset. Yeah, and – again. It's just one of those things where it's just like, okay, we found what works, but then it, he like they almost he, he almost can't help himself. Where it's just like, yeah. okay, let's go back to what I want to do now. Okay, that worked, but I I want to do it my way. So let's go back to this. And so it, it, it's it's just consistently inconsistent. It's like 
some of these some of these coaches would rather go down doing it their way than doing it a different way that's that's effective because they want to be the reason why it's working. They want to be the reason, and a lot of them are. And I'm not saying I'm not saying this is you know the case with Luke Getze, but there's a lot of ego in there that says if I want to be a head coach, I need to be able to put my stamp on here. And if it, if they, if they're doing this in spite of my you know my system, then what am I hanging my hat on whenever I want to go be a head coach or be this offensive mastermind? I'm not saying that's necessarily the case here but we but we have seen that all of a sudden they just go away for things for no reason or they go back to things for no reason and i'm not i'm not in the coach's room i'm not gonna pretend like i am but when you're watching it you're like okay what happened why 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 is why are the why are we the way that we are <laughs> that's, that's how that's that's how that's how i look at it man Aggie, is that you my god the bears do have a type don't they <laughs> they have a type Uh, that's good i like that yeah uh unfortunately it's not a good type uh very toxic relationships over and over again okay so john we're gonna finish on this so okay i know that you're excited about this john get ready the bears are on prime time again um in a matchup that features arguably the two worst teams in the nfl uh what is your hype level for this (laughs) matchup of motley misfits so no clock for this one Tell us what you really think. Oh, so here's okay. Well, here my my first thought was, wow, Amazon it must be thrilled that this is the game that they got, the stoppable force versus the movable object. Uh, but if you're not a Bears fan or a Panthers fan, why in the world would you spend your Thursday night watching this game unless you're like a degenerate gambler, which is completely fine, by the way. However, this could be the last Bears game of the year where there is something to play for. The Bears have the Panthers first round pick, and if they want to keep that pick as high as possible, you would like to give them another loss. Also, the Bears traded the number one pick to the Panthers last year, and they took Bryce Young, and you don't want him to make uh, the Bears look bad. Uh, of course, if you want to play devil's advocate, you could say the Bears only have two wins, and it's about as broad as it is long looking at the Bears and Panthers draft positioning. But for me, I'm grasping at anything. There really hasn't been anything on the line during a Bears game in a very long time. So even if I have to manifest something in my own mind, I'm going to do it. So am I pumped for this game? You bet I am. Big game on Thursday night. Let's go, baby. But that'll do it for B55. After this message, we'll go to the basement, and Alyssa and I will start a group discussion with Danny Shim and the Barroom's lead analyst. And during that, we'll look at Aldo Gandia's preview of the Bears' next opponent, those Carolina Panthers. The fall is where we rock here at the Barroom Network with over 15 shows scheduled from September to January. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network's YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Buffone 55, a segment we call Buffone's Basement. That's when we welcome on the Barroom's lead analyst, Danny Shimon. Danny, how you doing? 
Well, it's it's a Monday, but it feels like a Wednesday for some reason. I'm not sure why. That's weird. So, I, I, you know, first out of the gate, I got a question for you. Rick Meyer, great Bears quarterback or Rick, the greatest Bears quarterback? You're, Rick you're, Meyer? You're, yeah. The Notre that's, Dame guy? That, that's, that, that's whose jersey I'm repping right now. Rick Meyer played for I half I was hoping season. that was a Johnny Knox jersey, John. Oh, that is straight up Rick <laughs> Meyer right there. <laughs> And it's it's really a collector's edition, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, if, if we're if we're rocking great Bears quarterbacks of the past jersey, I should pull out my K McNown jersey. There you are. So <laughs> there is there's the whole thing behind this is you know I they had I, I guess they had value cities in the Midwest. Is that was that a store in the Midwest? Yeah. So you go there and they always had like this rack of jerseys in in like the athletic section, but they were always like outdated jerseys, like guys who didn't play for that team anymore. So I'd right. go in there and like we didn't have a lot of money, so I'd go in there and I picked up like I think I had like a Rasheed Wallace Washington Bullets jersey like years after he played there. I had a Rodman San Antonio jersey, and then I'm going through it one day. And I'm looking and, um, uh, and by the way, I'm like maybe nine or 10 years old while this is going on, by the way. So this is back in like 98, 99. And, uh, I see this, I'm like, Oh my God, a bear's Jersey. No way. And I look at it. I'm like, Oh, it's Rick Meyer. And it's an adult XL. And I'm nine years old at the time. I'm like, Oh, but it's nine bucks. <laughs> so so I, I go to my mom, I'm like, can I get this? And you know, you know, props to, to Mama Bear Buffone. She's like, fine, you can have it. We'll go with that. And event, I'm like, oh, I'll grow into it. And eventually I grew into it. And that's why we have this conversation piece. The return on investment on this Rick Meyer jersey has been tenfold because now I have something to talk about. And he only played for the Bears for like a season. So I can't even believe they put it, they even put his jersey in production. But I got one, baby. Value City, 1998 nine bucks that's what i'm talking that about that was the one years i believe right rick meyer if i remember correctly he, he well he got traded for a first round pick in yeah, like 90 11 overall pick i remember that yeah that and so he was drafted in 93 got traded to the bears in like 97 uh i believe that's one so, yeah i believe that's one was years. he still was one still around yeah, uh, so, so yeah so one of the better trades in bears history you trade a first round pick for a guy that was there for a cup of coffee and then left uh but Anyway, that was our Rick Meyer segment. Get, 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 every week, we'll have a Rick Meyer segment. Another Rick Meyer fact, uh, fun fact. That, that's why people are here. We, we, should, we should have uh, a segment of Bad Bears quarterbacks from the past. I mean, we'll, we'll have like ton of material to do. We, we could do the obscure, the obscure Bear of the Week. We can go the whole. We can go all the way back to like. We can go Moses Moreno, PT Willis. Oh yeah. Mean? Uh, what, I got what, plenty of failed quarterback jerseys in my closet, so we, we can we can go we can go way beyond quarterbacks. We can just do the obscure bears that were here for like a couple. Like Santonio Holmes was here. People forget about that. Santonio Holmes was here for like a year, uh, and, and some of these other guys. Don't, don't forget the Brian Cox years. Yeah, I, didn't he have a cowboy collar? Yeah, the little thing yeah stuck behind yeah yeah i love that thing man uh guys this show is depressing enough (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah the current bears so anyway all right we brought you in for we brought you in for a reason so let's start with the bears defense the offense didn't help them much given that they turned the ball over to the saints five times but on the first turnover the saints scored a touchdown uh and on the next three turnovers the saints only scored a field goal uh, the last one was at the end of the game. The Saints only had to kill the clock. So given the offense committed five turnovers, uh, isn't it kind of a minor miracle that the defense only allowed 24 points? Well, I mean, that's the one thing is, is that the defense did play well, I thought, even though they, you know, they gave up uh, those those 24 points. Ten, you know, 10 of those points were based off of those turnovers, those five turnovers from the Bears' offense. But, uh, yeah, you know, in, in terms of the guy that really you – know, you know, 
let me stop right there. Let me go back. You know, they're missing two starters with Tremaine Edmonds and Jaquan Brisker, you know, starting, you know, middle linebacker and starting safety. So considering all of that, and then the guys that filled in, uh, Jack Sanborn to me, guys, was all over the football field. And and, and why this guy was was kind of kicked off the starting lineup, you know, uh, after the, their big acquisitions in the offseason, it, it's beyond me. But again, that goes back to this coaching staff that I'm not a big fan of, right? So, but Sanborn was all over the place. He started for, for Edmonds in the middle. And talk about a guy that doesn't have the athletic traits that, that Tremont Edmonds does. But talk about the instincts, the guy that can key and read his, 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 you know, his keys real quick and be able to kind of be there and, and know where to go prior to that. I mean, Jack Sanborn, guys, is just a flat-out football player. You know, I saw him making tackles on, on defense, and I saw him going back on, on special teams, making, you know, assists on tackles there as well. So Jack Sanborn, to me, really stuck out. But but the name of this defense is creating pressure with your front four and creating turnovers. And the Bears had zero sacks and zero turnovers. So to me, again, it's it's a failure there. The only way they can generate pressure is, is by blitzing. And when you blitz – even if, if that's even a 50-50 proposition in terms of they're going to get there, they're going to do anything. Now, Montez Sweat, the new guy, came in. To me, I, I saw two pressures that, that Sweat caused. You know, one was, I believe, was an incompletion by Derek Carr. He kind of he bullied his – and that's how Sweat wins. He, he bullies the offensive lineman back into the quarterback, makes him uncomfortable, makes him lo- uh, move his launch pad, and then that that caused an incompletion by Derek Carr. The other one, I believe, was a completion, but it was, it was short of a first down. So I think Sweat, for a first game, Coming in uh, on a short week, you know, I, I think made uh, made a small impact there. So I think he can just go ahead and get better. The one thing about Montez, what I have to complain about, guys, 98. That number, it just doesn't fit him. You know, <laughs> you know wh- why can't uh, Dominique Robinson give up number 90 to him? I, I have no idea why. Uh, you know, that guy's barely hanging on to the to the roster there. Just, you know, try and get that number 90. From, 98 just doesn't work for Montez. What? Sorry. He used the money. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. So the one thing um... – I did notice when Montez Sweat was the way that he tracked down Taysom Hill on a play yeah. from across the field, the way he he is closing speed. I looked at him like that. Yeah. Okay, the effort's already there. Like right. he's already he's, he's already busting his butt to make a play uh, on the opposite side of the field. So yeah. that was that was nice to see. Uh, he loves so- the effort. Now that's the thing about Sweat. He's a good player. He's a guy who will hustle, will play hard. Uh, he's a physical specimen. I mean, you, you saw his arm, he's almost 36 inch arms. He's, he's got a chiseled body. This is a guy who's going to be tough at the line of scrimmage. Again, just, just getting his bearings in his defense, probably doesn't even know all of his teammates' names by now. So I think once he gets more comfortable, I will think we'll see more and more impact from him. But again, just for a guy who just came in midweek, basically, um, just, you know, and, you know, I think from at least from my, my book, I had like about two, possibly two and a half pressures there. I think he's only credited with one officially in a stat book, but I, I saw two where he was he was kind of probably the guy that was leading the charge. And then you talked about that that play there, John. You know, but you know, Taysom Hill is, is is a pretty quick cat there right. out of the out of the backfield. He chased him down from the opposite side of the line of scrimmage. So yeah, that's that's a terrific effort there for for uh, Sweat for sure. Alyssa, you wrote in your uh, studs and duds column on BearsWire.com that the team's pass rush was a dud. Uh, tell us why they rank so poorly and then please uh, lead the transition into some a little more uh, Montez sweat talk. Yeah, I mean, uh, Danny covered it, right? I mean, it's no secret just how awful this pass rush has been. They've gone back to back games now without registering a sack. Um, but they also haven't registered a sack in four of the nine games that they've played this season. It's it's brutal. That game against Washington, they had five. Think if they didn't have that game, if they weren't playing Sam Howell, just how bad things could be. Um, 10 sacks in nine games. I mean, you look at the next closest team, the Giants, the disastrous Giants, they have 15. Uh, the lack of pressure obviously isn't making things easier on that pass uh, defense either, which leads us to Montez. But like Danny, uh, I think that he had a, a really solid but modest debut. Uh, he had two tackles, a pass breakup. 
and he forced a Derek Carr in completion on that third down. You know, while he didn't record a sack in his first game, you know, he did do a good job of, of uh, had a good pressure rate. Um, according to Next Gen Stats, he had a team high four pressures on 25 pass rushes, a 16% pressure rate, and a 2.73 second average time to pressure. So, you know, let's remember Montez Sweat just got here a few days ago and he was still the best defensive lineman on the field for the Bears. It's just, it's crazy. But I think we also saw his potential and the impact that he can have once he starts acclimating better to this defense. Alyssa, let's stick with that, uh, the studs and duds column, uh, because I want to turn my attention to the offense. Who did you have on your list whenever you put that column up? Yeah, well, let's start with the positive because, as you guys know, we don't really do a lot of that on the show this season, unfortunately. Um, but I want to say welcome back to Chicago, Darnell Mooney. It, it's yeah. good to have you back. He led the Bears with 85 yards on five catches. And you're reminded that he can be a playmaker on offense. And I think the same goes with, with Cole Komet, who had six catches for 55 yards and a couple of touchdowns. But I want to single out, De- single out Deontay Foreman especially who just continues to show why he's deserving uh, as the team's workhouse uh, workhorse and sorry, running back, especially considering Khalil Herbert is now eligible to return from IR. So mm. we'll see if the Bears, you know, put him out there or activate him before Thursday night's game. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the workload because I think we can agree Foreman should not be a healthy scratch for the rest of the season. I, I still can't believe that from weeks two th- through week, uh, week five that he was inactive it's crazy. Um, and on defense kind of, um, like Danny was saying, I mean, I was impressed uh, with, with Jack Sanborn as well. He made my, my studs list, you know, he reminded us that the bears, uh, very well could have only signed one of those free agent linebackers and saved a heck of a lot of money and addressed another position, but I digress. Um, but then looking, uh, obviously to the bad, um, uh, Poor Tyson Bajan. I mean, again, I think he's going to be a really solid backup quarterback for the Bears, but you just can't turn the ball over like that. Four turnovers, three in the last quarter when you're still in this game where it's still winnable. I mean, it's brutal for him, um, especially when the game was was within reach. And obviously, I don't ever want to put DJ Moore on my duds list ever again, but... You know, it's not all his fault, although he did have that costly costly fumble, that fifth turnover. But a week after, you know, Moore said he wanted to be targeted more after he was targeted just six times against uh, the Chargers. He was targeted less, only five times against the Saints. So it's safe to say Moore doesn't have that same chemistry with Justin Fields. I'm sorry, with Tyson Bajan as he does with Justin Fields. So I think that once uh, Fields returns, perhaps on Thursday night against uh, the Panthers, I think that'll definitely change. And then also... Uh, I want to call out Cairo Santos um, for forcing oh, no. me to relive the trauma of the double doink. Okay? <laughs> My God, like that, that was the loudest doink I've ever heard. And somehow I was back in, in January, 2019, just rocking back and forth. It's like, we we've heard a lot of other teams doink field goals mm-hmm. before. There was one in that and, game. And it, yeah. And it's triggering, but then when a bears kicker does it, get out of here. I mean, that, that was brutal. So Thanks, Cairo. I appreciate that. We have not talked Bears kickers in a long time. I remember back I in, to. I think in 2019, Alyssa, I remember us going into the season thinking all they got to do is get the kicker right and they're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I miss those times desperately. <laughs> I, yeah, because we always sound so great in the preseason talking about like what the team needs and they're going to, they're bound for the playoffs. And then three weeks into it, the wheels fall off of it. But I, I was, I was smiling while you were talking about DJ Moore because I got to pivot over to you Danny listen yesterday 
on Bear Football. You brought up a question again that maybe DJ Moore is not an elite wide receiver as some proclaim. Now, not that I disagree with you, but I'm not overly sure I agree with you either. Uh, yeah, he did have a costly fumble in the game, and we can't discount that the quarterbacking Moore has had his entire year has been, or his entire career really, has been questionable with the Bears and the Panthers. So tell me, are you certain DJ Moore is or is not an elite wide receiver, or are you questioning any elite designation might, that might be put on him? My, my question, or, or my, my, when the trade was made and everyone said, oh, the Bears got an elite number one receiver, I said, wait, 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 hold on. I know he had, he had stats in, in Carolina. He put up over, I think, three consecutive thousand, over 1,000-yard seasons, but he only had, only had four touchdowns even each of those seasons, right? Uh, and, and he and we play a bunch of quarterbacks. I understand that. Not, not the greatest quarterbacks, okay? But the thing is, when I say elite, I mean, I, I think I think as a as a fan base, as as a media, we just throw the word out like like it's just willy nilly. Like elite to me means like the best of the best, right? And to me, DJ Moore is a good receiver, and he's he's the number one receiver on this Bears team, no doubt about it. He's probably the he's the best receiver on this team. But he, in terms of elite, so I, I I I just don't put him in that category. And when a trade was made, and so far this season, he doesn't he's not elite to me. He's not a guy that that defenses are are fearful of that defenses have to hone in on so for example like when i when i make my list of elite early receivers i got justin jefferson tyreek hill Devontae adams jamar chase stefan diggs aj brown cooper cup those seven are my elite guys right and then there's a, there's a next tier below them so of those seven guys john and Alyssa, which one of those guys would you say dj moore is better than i'll throw out to you guys yeah, I, yeah, you'd be hard. You'd be hard pressed yeah, to get me to put him in there. Yeah, right. uh, so my next there, tier you could always have some context of who is throwing him the ball, but but I but I, your point is very well taken. But my, my next tier, and this is where I put DJ Moore. Is it's my my next tier of, of very good receivers, guys like you know CD Lamb, still young, still developing, could eventually be elite. But right now, I say very good receiver. You know Mike Evans, a little older, but still a very good receiver. Amon St. Brown, the guy from the Lions, developing young guy. Very good receiver. You know, Debo Samuel, I'm, I'm, uh, he's more of like a running back playing receiver, but he's, he's very talented, get the ball in his hands. He's dangerous, he can score. And then DJ Moore. So these are these are guys that I have not as elite, but as very good receivers. That's all I'm saying about DJ Moore. You know, when you're an elite receiver, uh, and, and we guys, I, I know Chicago, we haven't had a plethora of elite receivers, but we have had one in my timeline, in my time frame, I should say, as a, as a fan and as an analyst, and that's Brandon Marshall. You know, Brandon Marshall, say what you want to say about him off the field in the locker room. That man, they knew the ball was coming to him and they couldn't stop him. Now, DJ Moore has had three good games that I that I can see in terms of stat-wise, right? He was against against the uh, the Bucks. He had 104 yards receiving against, and then the back-to-back versus Denver and and Washington. Since that the Washington game, he hasn't scored a touchdown. Since the Washington game, he hasn't had more than 60 yards receiving in a game. If that's a if that's an elite receiver. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't follow that. And now you might say, oh, well, the quarterback, throwing him the ball and all this stuff. Well, you know what? He had over 1,000 yards. I was told he's an elite receiver coming out of Carolina. He didn't have that many better quarterbacks in Carolina. So my thing is, when the, when the, when the focus became on D.J. Moore after the Washington game, he, he went away. And that's the thing. is like, And I'm not saying he's got to go out there and have 10 receptions, 208 yards, three touchdowns every single game to prove he's elite. No. He can have the three for 44 he had this past game. But catch a touchdown, make an impact. You know, when you when you're driving that that potential that that last that last um, drive to tie the game. I know Bajan fumbled it, but you know DJ Moore should be a, a, a guy that they go to. And I and I, when the change was made, when the, Justin got hurt, 
And Bajan was put in. I was told by a lot of people, not you guys, but a lot of people said on, on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, oh, this offense is better for Tyson Bajan. Bajan gets everyone involved. Well, if Bajan gets everyone involved, why isn't DJ Moore more involved? So that tells me that he's a guy that can't beat the, 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 the extra attention. So tell me he's not elite. Very good. Not knocking the guy. He's a very good receiver. Definitely number one receiver on this Bears team. But let's let's slow down with the elite title. Is he Chicago elite? Oh, for, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we can throw that Chicago Hall of Fame. You yeah. <laughs> you know, if you get a receiver, like if the Bears don't go quarterback, which I hope they don't go quarterback in the first round, and they get like a guy like a Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, I was just going to say, bring up that question that we got in the chat room uh, by Foster here. Or no, excuse me, Laz. Uh, Danny, will Harrison be an elite NFL receiver potentially, in your Laz, Potentially, he's got the traits. He's got the size, the wingspan, the ability to, to beat press coverage. He's got the, the ability to go up over defenders and make big plays. Now you get a guy like that who potentially could be an elite receiver. You pair him with a DJ Moore. Now we got something to talk about. All right. So and, and then you, if you bring in Darnell Mooney, you know Tyler Scott. I'm done with Bayless Jones. I don't want to see him on the roster anymore. But you know those four right there. If you have those, that's potentially a hell of a receiving core right there. So again, let, let's slot him in, in the correct way. Very good receiver, DJ Moore. I'm not taking anything away from him. Definitely the Bears' best receiver on this roster. But let's not throw the elite title out just so quickly. Before we divert the the subject here, I, this is a this is an interesting question here by Foster. He says, "What makes a wide receiver elite? What's your criteria for elite? Not necessarily like who is elite, but what what goes into being an elite uh, elite guys wide receiver? That impact the game. Guys that that defenses fear. Right? Those seven guys I listed you, they all impact the game. Everyone knows Justin Jefferson's getting the ball, but he still gets the ball. Right? He they, they roll coverages his way. He still gets the football. Tyreek Hill. We know he's he's a guy who's going to beat you guys deep." They cannot stop Tyreek Hill, right? Devontae Adams, I know he, with the Raiders, he's been having some, some up and down there. But with Green Bay, you knew Aaron Rodgers was going to, to Devontae Adams. He still made the play. Guys that can still impact a football game when when everyone knows that the ball is going to them and make big plays. Again, DJ Moore doesn't have to have, to have 200 yards per game, but at least, you know, get a touchdown. You know, remember he dropped that touchdown that uh, versus the Raiders where Bajan threw a nice ball to him. That's a drop touchdown. And again, those happen. He's human. People make, you know, drop balls. The one in the end zone versus the, the Saints. Not sure even if he caught that one, that would have been a touchdown. The, the defender was kind of pushing him out of bounds. But, again, you know, big play, big time elite receivers make those type of catches and always have an impact on a football game week in and week out. All right. I'm done with the DJ Moore talk. You successfully ticked everybody off. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, so uh, before we get to Aldo's preview of the Panthers, um, I'd like you each to share your thoughts on the importance of this Thursday night game against the Panthers and how it impacts Chicago. So how much value do you place on getting a win over the Panthers on Thursday for this organization? John, let's start with you. As much as I want to make it up in my head that it's important, because as I said in the last segment, I mean, yeah, they can beat the Carolina Panthers and they want to beat them because, you know, they own the, the Panthers first round pick and they want to keep that high. But it's not like the Bears are sitting at number 20 in the draft right now. I think they're, they're right up there, too. So even if they lose, they basically just swap positions. So uh, it, it's it's important because you want to win games and you're always going to cheer for your team and you don't want Bryce Young to make your team look bad because that's what you traded that you traded the number one pick to Carolina uh, and you don't want that player to make your team look bad. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not going to like, I want it to mean something. I want any bears game to mean something. And we haven't had a bears game mean something for quite some time. So I guess if we have to generate this 
almost artificial excitement over it than we will. But I mean, yeah, I want the team to win just like I want them to win every week, but I'm not putting a overly extra important emphasis on this game. Danny, am I missing something? No, John. I mean, I mean, basically, guys, and, and this might be an unpopular take and, and I might get some flack for it, but I want this coaching staff and hopefully this this front office to be gone. And I, if they lose every single game, that that's what I'm rooting for. And I know that's not what we're, we we want, right? We want the Bears to be successful. But the thought of Matt Eberflus coming back next year, I just made me throw up in my mouth. To be honest with you, just saying that right now. So it's it's just the the fact that this staff, to me, I, I, I they've lost me. I I think they pretty much lost half this team. We're not, you know, we'll see how that end the season ends. But for me, the more losses that rack up, and if you go in into to Soldier Field and you lose to this team with that. You know, with that offense that they they're bringing in next uh, this week, on and, and they have to t- some of the couple of the big players are hurt are not going to be played this week most likely. Um, I I think that just starts the, the process rolling. And and I, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm actually jealous of the Raiders because of what Mark Davis did, cleaned out house, starting fresh after two years, and is going to bring in someone hopefully uh, you know for them for their sake that that can write that ship. But that's what I'm looking for for the Bears, especially because it's a pivotal offseason for this franchise this this offseason doesn't go right you're talking about putting the franchise back five to seven years yeah I, I agree with you Danny I never thought I'd be jealous of the Raiders when I saw that news I'm like oh man why can't we do that well we, we um, the Bears cause it they beat the Raiders and then <laughs> yeah I know that's rough man we should have lost that game no, I mean I find it hard to to not root for the Bears and I, I do want whatever needs to happen for Matt Eberflus and everyone to to be gone but also when you look ahead to the importance of getting this number one pick and how it could impact the franchise where whether you take the quarterback or whether you stick with fields and you trade that pick again, getting a win over the Panthers on Thursday night is just going to make their draft pick worse. And I mean, there's so many storylines in this game and obviously you don't want Bryce Young to, to, to make you look stupid either. There's, there's like a, you know, like a pride thing here now because you know, the Bears, are, we don't have a very good football team and, you know, we don't need to be repeatedly kicked, you know, kicked in the stomach here. So, I mean, plus it, I'd like to wear, I mean, no, I wouldn't, it's not Monday. Sorry. I wouldn't get to wear my victory Monday shirt. <laughs> I'd be wearing it on a Friday again. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, they won their last one on, on Thursday night. That is true. That is true. But yeah, I mean, but, looking at the I importance, there. I think that it, it's, it's a must win. I mean, this is that <laughs> rock. Is that rock bottom? Is this rock bottom losing the Panthers? A must win. I, I it's hard to if you're a two and seven team, I don't know you can classify anything as a must win. I mean, it, it, everything is a nice to win. Uh, everything is a hope. Hopefully they win. But I mean, it's and I and I will be cheer. I, I listen. I always say I I'm not a gatekeeper of you know fans. If you're rooting for if you're if you're rooting for a tank because you're worried about draft positioning and moving forward and, and that's fine that's fine because at the end at the end of the day we all want the bears to be good we may have different ways of going about it or thinking about it but at the end of the day we all want the bears to be successful in some facets so i i have a hard time just saying oh please lose please lose that's just not in my blood to do it uh but if you give me a few days and, and if they do lose and you give me a few days to think about it like maybe it probably was okay that they lost but in the moment i i can't do it I, in the moment i can't be like oh come on bears just lose i it's it's, it's just hard for me to do that but i understand why some people do do that so it's it's not i'm not going to hold that against anybody for sure and okay now we're going to try uh, go ahead and look ahead to thursday night's game yes we have a thursday night game we're here on a monday the bears are back in prime time this week when they host the carolina panthers on thursday night football and there are plenty of storylines surrounding these two teams and how they are linked 
Here's Aldo Gandia's preview of the one in seven Panthers. The Panthers have now lost seven of their eight games this season. But Sunday's 27-13 loss on their home field left a terrible taste in the mouths of the players, coaches, and fans. Down he goes, sacked again. Obviously, it was a struggle. It was a struggle all day. Um, penalties and um, executing, um, you know, so it was a struggle there. We got all the horsepower we need, man, so congratulations to you guys. Any excitement about the team's win the previous week against the Texans was extinguished by Bryce Young's three interception day, two of them for touchdowns. Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud, the quarterback taken immediately after Bryce Young in this year's draft, was at the same time having an extraordinary day, throwing for 470 yards and five touchdowns, including a game winner with seconds to go. But Panthers head coach Frank Reich found some good news. The good news is um, that we play Thursday. When you look and listen to Bryce Young and the Panthers, it seems doubtful that they can lick their wounds in time for Thursday's game at Soldier Field and beat a Bears team that is also mortally wounded. And it, it obviously it, it, it makes for you to have to turn that page even quicker. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a short week. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we do all that we can to, to be at our best on, on Thursday. Um, so, you know, it, it just is how, how, how it shakes out. Um, you got to turn the page quick. Um, you know, there, there, there's no time to, to do anything. You know, obviously, you know, we play in a couple of days. So Young looked battered and confused behind an offensive line that can't protect him and wide receivers like second round pick Jonathan Mingo inexplicably freelancing on pass patterns. The team's best wide receiver this season is Adam Thalen, who is on track to catch 120 passes. But overall, the wide receiver crew has received lots of blame for the team's offensive problems. At running back, the numbers don't look good. None of the backs averages over four yards a carry, and there's only two rushing touchdowns among the group. The team's top three tight ends have 29 receptions between them and three touchdown catches. The team's offensive line was expected to see a boost with the return of veteran guard Austin Corbett from injury, but on Sunday it was more of the same from a line that Pro Football Focus ranks as next to last. Third down and nine for the defense has more encouraging news, except that two of the team's best players, linebacker Brian Burns and cornerback C.J. Henderson, suffered concussions and will not play on Thursday. The loss of Burns is especially concerning to the Panthers. He's our best player. He's a, he's a beast. Um, so, you know, we'll miss him. Um, but, you know, it's next man up. You know, and like you said, I mean, I'm not even thinking there's any chance of getting him, honestly. I mean, I don't, even if he were, there's a part of me like I can't imagine let, you know, letting him out there, um, even if he wanted to go out there. Cousins, little misdirection, and he'll get brought down from behind. But the Panthers still have excellent defenders, like the team's leading tackler, Frankie Levu, defensive tackle Derek Brown, safety Xavier Woods, to name a few. 
The Panthers' defense held the Colts to less than 200 yards of total offense on Sunday. And the run defense, they allowed only 78 yards on 30 rushing attempts. Their first win of the, the season. Panthers' field goal kicker is someone we all know here in Chicago, Eddie Pinheiro. He's made all but one of his extra points and has made 14 of 16 field goal attempts, including a game winner in Week 8. That's Johnny Hecker. The Panthers also have one of the league's best punters, Johnny Hecker. Watch this again. Well, you can't do that. You can't headbutt a guy. Hecker doesn't always use his head. But the Panthers coaching staff better start using theirs in preparation for the Chicago Bears on Thursday. Because if the Panthers lose Thursday, they could be facing some pink slips in their very near future. For Buffon 55, I'm Aldo Gandia. Leave it to Aldo to bring on a short week, man. On a short week. What a turnaround. Like started that after the game yesterday. Like I'm going to say it every week until the end of the season. We got the best in the business when it comes to putting that stuff together. It's professional. No one even touches it when it comes to that. I just love that he ends on the punter. I, I love it. We got to break down every aspect of that team, including the punter, and he headbutts somebody. He looked like a flop, but he headbutts I, somebody. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I've been with Aldo at the, at the Senior Bowl, and he has scouted kickers and punters. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, and, he, he's the inter- and, he, he li- and I told him, I said, listen to the ball. And he sits there, he listens to the ball off the off the foot of the punter and kicker. So he knows his special teams. So that's why he puts them in there. We, you know what? We're going to have a – that sounds like a spinoff podcast where, where there's just – we just we just talk special teams the whole time. The best gunner in the league. Best uh, – who who holds the ball the best? Best punter, best kicker. Who has the most velocity? Who, why, why doesn't anyone kick barefoot anymore? Why, why, why? No, no more. <laughs> Aldo, no more. Aldo have answers for you on those questions. I know. Hashtag yeah, no special more, teams. Yeah. No, no more straight on kicker. Everyone does soccer style. What happened? Why, why do we go away from it? Why, why aren't the linebackers, the kickers anymore? What's going on? So uh, I'm going way back into the, into the vault there, but anyway, thanks you again to Aldo for that. But Hey, hey Danny, as Aldo pointed out, uh, Panthers quarterback, Bryce Young, had a pretty horrendous day on Sunday. He threw three interceptions and two of them went for touchdowns. Uh, when you scouted him last season, what did you see? And are we just seeing young go through some growing pains or could we potentially see uh, a bad trend and a bad draft pick for the Panthers? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I saw a guy that, that played at Alabama that, that to me didn't have elite skill set, right? They don't have elite size with under, under, uh, I was 5'10", under 200 pounds at the time at Alabama, you know, got over 206 at, at the combine, which is mainly all water weight, by the way. Uh, doesn't have elite arm strength, right? The only thing, if you want to say it was elite, was his accuracy and, and his anticipation. That was about it. But in terms of, for me, I, I don't draft quarterbacks in the first round. This is just my rule. I don't draft quarterbacks under 6'1 and under 200 pounds in the first round. You want to take a flyer on these guys in the second, third round, you go ahead and do that. But you, you might, might catch a lightning in the bottle. But, yeah, for him, it's, it's right now he's, he's struggling to see over the line of scrimmage. He's got a, a, an offensive line that they invested heavily in in terms of draft picks and, and money, and they just he just can't stay protected. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the receivers on, on the outside are, aren't up to par. Adam Thielen's having a little bit of a, a nice breakout year. Mingo is a talented rookie receiver who's probably going to get better as, as, as his career goes on. Torrance Marshall, who came out of LSU, I thought was as a promising young prospect. He's really just busted out there. So not much to throw on the outside. You know, with, with a guy with limited size, limited arm strength, and, and you know, really – uh, he needs an, a, a superior offensive line. He needs talent around them. And he's a guy that, that you win because of, not 
or, or so we went with, not because of. So I, I, that's the thing is like, I don't see, he was not my top rated quarterback. CJ Stroud was my top rated quarterback. And the fact that they picked, you know, Bryce Young over CJ Stroud really is, is probably going to cost Frank Reich and, and Scott Fitter their, their jobs this season because, and that's a shame because Scott Fitter is a great, great person. I've, I've met him personally. I just let you know, he, that guy's a great dude. Uh, and Frank, from all I heard, Frank Reich is a great dude. And, and from what I've heard, that, that position was more so with the owner who wanted Ronda Bryce Young than, than, than the actual coach. And, but again, no one's going to actually throw the owner under the bus. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it wasn't a guy I would take in the first round, much less with the first overall pick. Time will tell. Uh, not a great first half uh, of his first season, but you know, there's plenty, plenty of time to turn it around. Just go into the chat room real quick. Uh, Touring Whitfield said this game should have been moved to noon on Sunday, and then PZ stepped in and said, you know, maybe noon on Thursday would have been better. And, and I, I'm more, I'm more of that. I think this game should go on right after the Price is Right. Actually, uh, <laughs> this game could have been put, put overseas. Like starts at eight thirty in the morning here in local time. We don't have to. Have oh, to don't don't it. subject Europe to this. <laughs> we're trying yeah, to they'll be they'll be drunk by halfway through the game and they'll we're be trying to grow the game like danny we can't be sending that crap product <laughs> over there and saying hey this is what you're missing buy into this wait wait wait, wait. this week we have the patriots and a cold so we're talking about crap product that's <laughs> oh it's yeah maybe uh, that ain't great <laughs> it, it sounds like the, it sounds like the bears are going to spain next year too so potentially okay. aldo road trip uh we're gonna do a live we're gonna do a live show okay live show <laughs> Live show from Spain. You heard it here first because that's this is what we we already have to we have to talk about 2024 on this show. That's what we we do now. Always. Because, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Alyssa Aldo uh, noted that outside linebacker Brian Burns, one of the game's best, and quarterback CJ uh, cornerback CJ Henderson suffered concussions on Sunday. Uh, Coach Reich said it's going to be tough for them to play uh, or at least be ready for Thursday's game. Was there any update? Uh, today on those players and can you give us an uh, early injury report for both teams actually yeah well let's start with the bears going through all the injury updates because both teams have just a laundry list of injuries um and as far as the bears go let's start with the most important injury update which is quarterback justin fields he was limited during monday's walkthrough and he's now considered day-to-day with that right thumb injury Eberflus said that they're going to know more on wednesday um, depending on whether Fields can go ahead and uh, start in Thursday night's game against the Panthers. So that's something uh, definitely worth monitoring. Otherwise, we're going to get Tyson Bajan round four. Um, and then with Jaquan Brisker, it's been like a crazy couple of weeks for him. He was in concussion protocol, then he cleared protocol a couple weeks ago, and then he was placed back in protocol last week. But the good news is Brisker has been cleared from protocol again, and he should be full go uh, for Thursday night's game against the Panthers. Um, some other injuries, linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, uh, who missed Sunday's game against um, the Saints with that knee injury. He's considered day-to-day. He did not – he was listed as a non-participant during Monday's walkthrough, so we could be getting more of Jack Stanborn here on Thursday night. Uh, and fullback Kari Blazingame, who was – he's already been ruled out of Thursday night as he's in concussion protocol. And some big news, too. The Bears uh, designated uh, Khalil Herbert – Equinania St. Brown and Josh Blackwell to return from IR. As you remember, Herbert suffered that ankle injury in week five and St. Brown and Blackwell have been dealing with hamstring injuries. So we'll see if Chicago opts to activate them uh, on this short week or whether they kind of waited out a little bit. And then looking over at the Panthers who they, their injury list today was, was crazy. Uh, A lot of players that didn't practice. And obviously the two biggest were Brian Burns and CJ Henderson. They're still in concussion protocol. And obviously their status 
this for Thursday night is not looking good. I uh, wouldn't expect them to be playing, which, you know, is another break for the Bears there. Um, and then some other injuries worth monitoring, too, for the Panthers. Uh, DJ Chark didn't practice Monday as he's dealing with an elbow injury. And safety Xavier Woods also didn't practice, and he has a thigh injury. So we'll see if those two guys are able to go. But just a whole slew of injuries between both of these teams, as well as 14 losses. Wow, this game has it all. Go ahead, Danny. <laughs> no, the, the one thing, is that the brisker thing is, is real serious, guys. And I'm not sure who dropped the ball here, whether it's the NFL independent uh, you know, neurologist or how that works or whether it's the Bears training because he had a concussion, was in protocol, was taken out of protocol, was put back in the game, apparently suffered some more setbacks and some more concussions. And that, that's dangerous. And that's, that's putting a player's career at risk. So I'm not sure who dropped the ball. I don't want to point fingers, but whoever it is, should there should be some accountability there because you're putting this young kid's career on the line by, by putting him back in the game when he's still dealing with concussion symptoms. So that's one that, that, that kind of flew under the radar there. But that, to me, it's a very serious uh, uh, infraction by either the NFL or at Bears. I'm not sure who, who, who's the fault there. So I don't want to blame, but that's serious stuff there. I mean, it's for everyone, but uh, Brisker, a young player, and you want to make sure that he has a, a, every opportunity to have a long career, and you don't want to you don't want to already put those setbacks in front of him if somebody drops a ball on that. So, uh, Danny, you think with the uh, with when Equinemius St. Brown is healthy and ready to come back, that might be the end of the Valus Jones experiment. God only hope so. I'm I'm tired of seeing Earl Jones. I mean, he can't catch a ball as a receiver. He can't return punts. He can't return kickoffs. Apparently, he can't play special teams. Uh, apparently, I don't know what the hell he's doing on the roster, other than the fact that he's Ryan Pulse third round pick. The one thing, uh, but Alyssa's update there. Key thing is that that's the those three guys being designated to return. Those are the eighth players. Those are the final players the Bears can bring back from IR. So from now on, if any player goes on IR, they're done for the year. Just FYI. That's that's good information because now it, I think with the way that the IR rule changed, uh, it's some people aren't sure they're like, okay, if he can he come back and he not come back. So anyone that the Bears put on IR uh, from here on out is it's done for the year. I think that's why Justin Fields wasn't put on IR because basically, if he was goes on IR and they want to bring him back, then one of those three guys wasn't going to come back. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, going back to the uh, what you were saying about Bayless Jones, I, I said this on Bear Football after the game, but it was interesting listening to Matt Eberflus' press conference. And they were talking to about the holding calls on the offensive line, and he said he had to go back and look at the tape, and he wasn't sure, and they're going to have to look at it later. And then when they asked him about Bayless Jones' uh, face mask penalty, he's like, oh, yeah, that was a face mask, and you can't do that. As, as a professional, you can't be doing that. So I think even Matt Eberflus might be done with Bayless Jones. Third uh, so, yeah. Third round yeah. pick. You weren't very happy about that pick when it was made anyway, were you? No, I was not. I was not. <laughs> or receipts for Danny against he, he, he was not, He was a guy that I had in the day three of the draft because he was a guy that give you some value on special teams, especially at USC. Had been to a couple of schools, Tennessee, USC. Never, never been really a, a position, like you know, that never was a receiver, never played some running back. You know, he was all over the place. And just to, to take a, a third-round pick on a guy, especially he was supposed to be one of your, you know, core pieces to help, you know, build around Justin, uh, just a horrible pick. I need to bring up uh, Eric's comment on YouTube. So anyone put on IR won't be able to come back for the playoffs? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's no good. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that made me chuckle. I had, I, had to, I had to bring that up. Playoffs? What are playoffs? Yeah, we got a, we oh, got a, we got a, we got a Jim Moore impersonation over there. Playoffs? Playoffs? <laughs> We got, we got to try to win a game. <laughs> and uh, Alyssa, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, still in the Matt Eberflus era, never back-to-back -back wins, right? Never back-to-back -back wins. Oh, that's unfortunate. It's forbidden. Uh, Lost it. 17 of the last 19 games. 
Oh boy. <laughs> and yet Ryan Poles wants to bring him back. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Still in the midpoint of the season. Still the midpoint of the season. We're okay. Uh but let's let's put a bow on this thing before we head out of here. Alyssa, it's a short week, and I'm sure your content schedule is adjusted. So what can people be expecting out of Bearswire.com as we get ready for this big monumental paramount Thursday night matchup with the Panthers? Oh, man, lots of preview content. I know that's what readers want. They want to look forward to this matchup. Uh, we have that. Uh, all the news coming out of House Hall this week. Plenty of injury updates. I mean, this is going to be something to monitor. I know for Justin Fields, whether he's going to be playing as well. Got to get my hot seat watch out, uh, of course, which, I mean, just continues to get hotter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to have plenty of content before the game, during, and after. And Danny, the Bears signed a defensive end in Montez Sweat, but that's not going to stop you from studying the defensive ends coming out of the draft. Can you clue us in on who you're looking at? Well, I mean, we, we talked about last week a little bit in terms of guys in the first round. It's not really a heavy first round, you know, uh, a defensive end, also a linebacker draft right now. Uh, and the guys for me in the first round right now, like I talked last week, was Jared Verse from FSU. Uh, Latu, Latu from UCLA has been on fire the last couple of games against uh, – against Colorado and, and Arizona, respectively, six tackles for loss, four and a half sacks is up to 16 tackles for loss and 11 sacks. That's a kid that I think is, is, is cementing his way up that up those draft boards. And I think he's going to end up going in the first round. Dallas, Dallas Turner from Alabama, 6'3", 240. One of those tweeners, guy that, that, that can play off the edge, uh, probably as an outside linebacker, but again, the guy that, that brings a, a live body, 10 and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks. You know, so that's a guy that those are that's the second round, top of second round, or late first round, could you know project himself obviously with the draft process into into the bottom half of that first round. But you know, I, I was asked to, to give you some some names in terms of guys on like late day two, early day three. And these are some guys that intrigue me right now. Again, these are guys, unfortunately, right now, there aren't the the prototypical six five, six, six, two hundred seventy-five pound, you know, first step quickness bend around the around the corner type of uh, guys those guys going to top 10 top 15 in the draft and i think that's one of the reasons why polls went felt compelled to go get a montez sweat you know a guy that can that can give you about six to ten sacks in that range and give you a good run defender at the edge there so i think that's kind of why he went there away but if you're talking about guys in the, in the third round again Depending on if the staff is here, the staff is not here. If you're bringing a whole new defensive staff, they're running a three-four or four-three. These are just three guys that right now intrigue me in terms of just 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 pure pass rush ability. The first guy is uh, Adisa Isaac from uh, Ohio. I'm sorry, from Penn State. Uh, again, tweener, outside linebacker, defensive end. Some some scouts are not sure where he lines up best. About six-three, two forty-eight. A uh, redshirt sophomore, a uh, redshirt senior, I should say. Uh, Twenty-one tackles so far. Ten and a half tackles for loss. Six and a half sacks. Heavy hands. This is the guy when he when he plants his hands into the chest of an offensive lineman or uh, a tight end. I, I, t- I call it knockback power. You see that the heads are rocking back. You know he's got that 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 core strength and that and those heavy hands to able to get in there. And then also he's got that nonstop motor. So he wins with some physicality at the line of scrimmage, and he wins with that motor. Um, second guy I have is is Muhammad uh, Kamara from Colorado State. Uh, he's best known around here for for that Colorado game where he was uh, kicked off for targeting Shadur Sanders. Uh, but a guy 6'3", 240, another heavy impact hitter. Motor runs hot all the time. He's got 13 tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks so far through nine games. And a guy that I'm starting to dig more into uh, his tape, and I'm really really intrigued. But again. Size is going to be an issue with this kid. 6'1", 255, and this is Antoine Powell Ryland from Virginia Tech. Um, this is a guy that, that was a four-star high school prospect coming, you know, coming out of high school, went to Florida for the first couple of years, 
transferred to the ACC in Virginia Tech this past year and is setting the ACC on fire. He currently leads the ACC in, in tackles for loss with 13, sacks with nine, and forced fumbles with three. First career, he's got six forced fumbles. This is a guy, that you, you talk about that athletic get-off, first-step quickness. You see some, some pass rush ability in terms of spin move. He, he uses arms to free from uh, from offensive linemen. And again, a nonstop intensity. You know, th- those six tackles for loss tells you when he, when he hits a ball carrier, whether it's a quarterback or a running back, He's got the ability to jar the bar loose. So Antoine Powell Ryland is a guy that I'm keeping an eye on. But again, these three guys are mostly late day two, early day three guys. Again, depending on what scheme you're running, even if you keep your uh, Eberflus, and I, I said it again, I got myself stumped, myself sick here by just saying that. But uh, you, you can use these guys as situational pass rushers, right? You bring them in, and like a, a guy like James Houston that with Detroit, you know, they run a 4-3, but James Houston is an undersized pass rusher they bring in opposite of of, of their, their, number one, their number one pick. Um Hutchinson, thank you. And and he's very effective. He's hurt now, but he was very effective. So these guys can come in here opposite of whether it's Sweat or or whoever you have, you know, Demarcus Walker, uh, and and use them their abilities to just get to the quarterback and generate pressure. So these are the guys that, that I'm looking at possibly as day three guys. Danny, I'm gonna let you read that question from Laz and get your opinion on it. He's on my list, Laz. He's on my list. Uh, I mean, as a matter of fact, I was going through the list here. I'm waiting for Alyssa's list here of guys on the hot seat. I'm still, you know, I'm asking here. So, uh, so my my high coaching uh, list, guys, and I and thank you, Laz, for asking this question because I have my list ready. Uh, my number one guy, depending on what happens, is Jim Harbaugh. I I, I know he's under investigation, blah blah, blah all that stuff. He's Alyssa one guy doesn't want him to leave Big Blue. <laughs> he's going to sign I, I an would, extension. I would love to have him here. Uh, number two, moving up on the list is Ben Johnson. The, the Lions offensive coordinator. And the reason I like Ben Johnson is because he takes what he's given and he makes the best of it, right? He doesn't have a set system and says, all right, this is my this is my quick cutter system and you guys play to my system. He takes what the guys do best. Jared Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, the running backs, you know, David Montgomery, so on and so forth, and the tight ends. He incorporates everybody in the offense and he builds a system around his around his offensive playmaker skill sets. Uh, third guy, uh, might be popular here, about Bill O'Brien. I think Bill O'Brien, as a head coach only, did a pretty damn good job with Deshaun Watson in Houston. He built an offense around Deshaun Watson's strengths, and I think, think they were they were taken off. Deshaun Watson had a great uh, you know first couple of years under Bill O'Brien. But again, as a head coach only, uh, if you're going, Bobby Slowick is a guy that's on my list as well. He comes from that Kyle Shanahan system, a guy that's doing a great job right now in Houston with, with C.J. Stroud. So I think he's a guy you have to look at, a guy who's failed in the league before as, as an offensive coach. Uh, a play caller, I believe, was might have been a quarterback coach, but he's come back now with Houston. Has done a tremendous job with that with that young roster, and we saw what what CJ Stroud did last week uh, versus uh, I forgot who they were playing, but he just he tore him up, 470 yards, five touchdowns. And a guy, if you if we're doing, and I know we go offensive guys and we go defensive guys, and since we have a defensive guy, we're probably going to go offensive guy. But a defensive a guy that really really intrigues me, and I I just would like to know who his offensive corner is going to be and what the plan is if that offensive corner ends up leaving him is the Bengals uh, defensive coordinator, Lou uh, Anarumo. He's a guy that's very, very well-respected around the league. Everyone I talk to talk about his defense, the way he schemes and designs week on a week-to-week basis for whoever he's playing that week. Very highly respected, but he's a defensive guy. And if we have a young quarterback here, whether it's Justin, you know, and Bajan battling for it, or if you go get another guy in, in the draft, God forbid, it's it's you got to see, you know, what's his plan in terms of developing this quarterback. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean if you bring a defensive guy, you can't draft a quarterback. Look at Houston, right? The Mika Ryans, you want to got a good offense coordinator, and now, you know, he's got CJ Stroud lighting it up. So Lou Anarul from from the Bengals is a guy, defensive minded head coach, potential that, that really intrigues me. 
Uh, let's go to Mike's question real quick. What do you think about Brian Kelly? Could they pull him out of the college ranks? No. Would you want oh him? Oh, my God. Brian Kelly? No, <laughs> wow, I didn't fingers. expect such a strong no. <laughs> opinion no. on that. Okay. <laughs> I was just, just reading it on. Uh, what about – I mean, the, you know, listen – the Kansas City Chiefs are a really high-octane offense. They have a really hot-shot offensive coordinator John. right now who might be looking for a head coach. John. Um, the name's escaping me. Um, John. I, I, Take him off the screen. Oh, no. Did I get deleted off my own show? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I am done with I, – I am I have chief fatigue, whether it's Nagy, whether it's, it's PTSD. Enemy, whether it's, it's, it's Ryan Poles. I am done with chief fatigue. I, it works for them. God bless them. Just keep it over there. I, I don't want to hear in Chicago anymore. With that being said, I guess we're going to put a, put a bow on this one. Hey, I appreciate, we all appreciate each and every one of you tuning in, whether it's your first time or 55th time, whether it's the video edition or the audio podcast afterward. We love having the, you guys in the chat room. Either you make this show so easy to do with your comments and your questions. So we do uh, appreciate that. But don't forget to tune in to Bear Football right after the show on Thursday night, right here on the Barroom Network. Danny and I won't be there this week, but we'll have you covered with some other analysts. As soon as the clock hits triple zeros, they're going to have some raw emotions and reactions to that game between the Bears and the Panthers. But that will do it for this edition of Buffone 55. For Alyssa Barbieri and Danny Shimon, I'm John Buffone. We'll see you next time.